Okay, so today I'm going to be discussing covalent modifications to enzymes, and just student to student, I want to mention this. Um, this module is kind of the turning point where I, I started learning totally new information. I've taken bio in high school and in university, um, and I was learning this when I first did it. So um, it's definitely a very interesting module, um, and it's very relevant in research as well. Um, but I know this is a review playlist, so let me get started. Um, the first big claim this module makes is that not all enzymes are proteins. I'm going to let that sink in. Not all enzymes are proteins. Up until now, we've thought that, hey, enzymes are just specified types of proteins, right? And you, you're correct in thinking that, but there are plenty of enzyme examples of enzymes that are not proteins at all. And by proteins, I mean they're not amino acid polymers with primary, secondary, tertiary, and quaternary structure. That's what makes a protein a protein or a polypeptide, depending on what terminology you like to use. Um, some examples of non-proteins are um, small organic molecules such as flavin and inorganic metals such as mg2 plus underline that i don't remember exactly what module it was but i told you pay very close attention to mg2 plus just in the context of mcat studying know what this this inorganic metal does because it does so much okay it stabilizes you know the negative uh, chart the the dna uh, double helix it is a form of covalent catalysis specifically electrostatic catalysis it is also it has to do with minerals and vitamins and it's also um you know an enzyme that's not a protein so it's a very relevant biomolecule that you should definitely be familiar with it is the magnesium ion mg2 plus um, now to discuss what exactly are covalent modifications, because I've been using that term a lot and I haven't defined it. These are modifications or changes to proteins that involve breaking or forming covalent bonds. Okay, and so these are these are literally because I know that definition isn't super helpful. These are alterations that are done to proteins at various events in their life cycles. Okay. Um, uh, and so we've actually categorized them in this module. I will be discussing the three categories of covalent modifications, um, uh, small post translational modifications, zymogens. Yes, you heard me zymogens. And finally, suicide inhibition. Okay, let's begin. So the first one is small post translational modification. Um, and let's kind of, you know, uh, um, take apart this word, this phrase a little bit, small post translational Post meaning after translational, after translation. So this is a modification that occurs after the translation step uh, of protein synthesis. Remember the third step of protein synthesis, if you account for the removal of introns in mRNA processing. <clears throat> Um, so that's post-translational. Small tells us that we are adding or removing small functional groups from an enzyme. So, so the modification is that we are adding specific groups or removing specific groups um, uh, uh, on an enzyme. And small tells us that the groups that we're adding are small ones. And I'll actually give you the groups that we add. Um, uh, for example, we have three that are noted in the module, but there are multiple. Um, there's methylation, acetylation and glycosylation. And you can kind of guess what each modification does based on the name. Methylation is the addition of a methyl group, which you know is CH3. Uh, acetylation is the addition of an acetyl group, and you know what that looks like. That is uh, a, a carbon chain with a carbonyl O. And finally, glycosylation is the addition or removal of a sugar molecule. To give you an example of this small post-translational modification, um, um, uh, 
is spotlight lysine acetylation, okay? So remember that lysine is a positively charged amino acid. You should remember that you're, you should remember your properties of amino acids from uh, that previous chapter. Um, so lysine is a positively charged amino acid, and, and specifically the positive charges are on the the amine groups or the amino groups, specifically on the nitrogen of the amino groups in the mod in the molecule. Um, and I told you it's lysine acetylation. So what are we doing? We are adding or removing. In this case, we are adding an acetyl group, an acetyl group. So that acetyl group bonds to the nitrogen uh, and that stabilizes that negative charge. So lysine originally has a net positive charge following acetylation, it is a it is a uh, net neutral charge, okay? And this loss, and this is where, this is what's key, so pay attention here, this loss of positive charge changes some properties of lysine, okay? So it changes lysine's acidity and basicity, obviously, because it changed the, the, new, the net charge, um, and it also influences lysine's electrostatic interactions, also because of we change the charge, right, um, uh, with other charged molecules. Um, and so just to kind of review small post-translational modifications, we see every element that I talked about, right? Small was the uh, the addition of small functional groups, and acetyl, an acetyl group is small. Post-translational means it occurs after translation of the molecule. Let me ask you, what happens during translation? We synthesize the actual, the polypeptide, right? We are, translation is literally the act of joining, of selecting and joining various amino acid residues to create, um, to create the polypeptide chain. And that's exactly what we did is we uh, did this modification on lysine in amino acid, a part of that chain, right? Um, and so that is small post-translational modification. Now let's transition to zymogens, Z-Y-M-O-G-E-N-S, zymogens. And these are, uh, these are really kind of my favorite of the three because they're quite simple. Um, zymogens are basically inactive forms of enzymes that require modifications to activate them, okay? And so, so let me tell you again, uh, what did we do with small post-translational modifications? We modified the, the molecule we were working with, but specifically we changed its electrostatic interactions and its acidity and basicity. Here, our modification uh, activates or deactivates the molecule, okay? So, you know, zymogens are its inactive form. An enzyme is in its dormant state as a zymogen. And then when this modification occurs, this allows us to activate the uh, enzyme. So that's really why we do the entire modification is to activate the enzyme when we need to activate it and deactivate it and when we don't need it to be working, okay? Um, an example, and so that, that's really what zymogens are. I'll give you an example, though. Um, the digestive enzymes in the pancreas, one example, is trypsinogen, um, okay? And, and that O-G-E-N, trypsinogen, uh, that O-G-E-N suffix indicates a zymogen, the inactive form of, of, of that trypsin, right? So already, again, nomenclature is actually really helpful when you're taking the exam. Uh, so trips, trypsinogen is transported to the intestine where it is covalently modified. And again, what, what, what's going on when we covalently modify? We're activating it. That's why we do it, is to activate it. So trypsinogen is transported to the enzyme where it is activated through modification by enterokinase. Okay, and so this converts to the active form, which is known as trypsin. You're probably familiar. Um, and so what this, what this does, if you're curious, is that it prevents breakdown of needed proteins in the pancreas. Okay, so again, that's what uh, trypsin is doing. It is it prevents breakdown of needed proteins. Okay, note that enterokinase, which is an enzyme, covalently modifies trypsinogen, another enzyme. So this is kind of a blurb. I'm kind of pausing my talk about zymogens. Note that an enzyme 
activated another enzyme, specifically through covalent modification, right? Enterokinase, an enzyme, activated trypsinogen, another enzyme, to trypsin. Trypsinogen was its dormant state. Trypsin is its activated state. So from this, we learned that enzymes can activate other enzymes, okay? And that's just kind of an important point that I thought I should mention. Um, so again, trypsin breaks down proteins while trypsinogen does not, right? The function of this enzyme is to break down proteins when needed, right? If the body needs some proteins to be broken down, trypsin is your man, okay? Trypsinogen does not break down proteins. So you might ask, why does trypsinogen need to exist? In other words, why couldn't we always just have, you know, an abundance of just trypsin in our body? Then we wouldn't need covalent modification to activate it at all. Well, let me tell you, I told you that trypsinogen originates where? It, it is a digestive enzyme of the pancreas that travels or actually is transported to the enzyme, okay? Had we began with active trypsin from the start, it would have broken down needed proteins on its way to the enzyme. In other words, when it's traveling to the, or, sorry, on its way to the intestines, I'm sorry. It would have broken down needed proteins that the body did not want to be broken down on its way to the intestines, okay? We only need to break down proteins in the intestine. So if we have it in its active form all the time, it's going to do its work everywhere in the pancreas, on the way to the intestines and even in the intestines. Okay, so that's why we need to include this concept of zymogens or dormant forms of enzymes because we don't need it to be activated until it's in the intestine. It's actually detrimental to the organism if it's active everywhere. So allowing, uh, allowing it to enter its zymogen form and then allowing it to be covalently modified allows us to have this enzyme in our body in a safe form okay, in a safe form, and then we can activate it and kind of unleash it, if you will, where it's needed, and so it doesn't harm the body at all. The third and final um, uh, component or category of covalent modification I will discuss is suicide inhibition, and I actually lied the last time. I know I said zymogens was the easiest, but really suicide inhibition is the easiest. Um, suicide inhibitors covalently bind to an enzyme and prevent catalysis, Okay, so the covalent aspect is significant here because the inhibitors inhibitors rarely unbind. Okay, if you have a, a covalent bond, that's a relatively strong bond. Again, it's not the strongest, definitely not the strongest, but it's a relatively strong bond to the point where covalently bonding these inhibitors means that they will never unbind. They're gonna stick there. They're gonna you know attach to your allosteric site and just hog it forever. That allosteric site is done. There is no removing of that inhibitor. And that's why they're called suicide inhibitors because once they attach, once they're bound, they're, they've done their work and that's it. They can never do anything else, okay? So the suicide aspect in, in, in the name suicide inhibition arises from the inhibitor's covalent bond formation with the enzyme um, that distinguishes it from other inhibitors. So remember, so uh, just to review, there are competitive, non-competitive, and uncompetitive inhibitors. This is another type of inhibitor to add to your list, which is suicide inhibitors. You know, they do their work and that's it. Kind of like a kamikaze, if you will. So that's it for this module. I know that, you know, you know now that if you've been listening long enough, you know that when the modules are this long or this content heavy, I like to do a quick summary. So I'll do that right now. Um, so remember, small PTMs, small post-translational modifications are addition or removal of small groups after translation, right? Just just remember the name and that's, you're good to go, right? So that's the addition or removal of methyl, uh, acetyl or um, glycosyl, gly glucose groups or sugar groups. Uh, zymogens are inactive proteins that require covalent modification to activate. Finally, suicide inhibitors are enzyme inhibitors that permanently, permanently bind to the target.